You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Seeking Witchcraft. Today, I have on my lovely co-host and coven sister, Allison. Hello. Hello. You may recognize Allison from some of my very first episodes, such as the Wheel of the Year episode and the Circle Casting episode, where she shared some really important knowledge on those topics. <laughs> well, thank you, Allison, for coming back and recording with me today. By the way, we are recording off of one microphone, so if the sound is weird, that is why. But thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to be back on. It's been too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm super stoked where we get to actually record another episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so today we're going to be talking about how to navigate being a witch while also being a full-time college student. And for those who are maybe not in college, we're going to be talking about just balancing your witch life with your mundane life, you know, for maybe people who have full-time jobs or families and or other obligations. So Allison, do you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background and how your life ties into this? Of course. So um, I'm Allison, and I'm not originally from here. I got into all this a while ago when I was in high school. I started, I guess, my outer court experience then, and then I moved out of state to go to college where I met Ashley and sort of joined in with the coven out here, and yeah, we've been going from there. <laughs> hmm Yep, and now we are in a coven together, and yeah, it's pretty great. Mm-hmm been downhill ever since wow (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah so you know allison has the background of being a full-time college student and my background on this topic is when i started my seeking process and i was in my outer court i was a full-time grad student and i also had a bunch of other jobs on top of being a full-time jobs uh grad student somewhere day shift and some more night shift and I was also writing a thesis and applying for a grant and looking for jobs and it was just a lot going on but now I've kind of transitioned from that role from full-time student with a bunch of random research jobs to full-time employee so uh, I figure for this episode it'd be good we can kind of bounce our ideas off of each other or not ideas but our experiences on kind of how to navigate this life mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so I guess you want to take it away yeah so I guess I have never known witchcraft without school also involved. I started when I was in high school um, and then moved on to college. So I've always had to kind of find a balance of focusing on school during the week and then also mixing in. Usually when I did coven, it was bi-weekly. So twice a month, I would need to make sure that my weekend was clear so that I could come do the important thing and focus on it. And then also, you know, you don't really put witchcraft down when you go to school. Like, it's a part of your life no matter what. So finding a way to also be able to, like, at the end of the day or start my day or just, like, intertwine it within my day um, so that I wasn't, like, leading two completely separate lives. Yeah. Yeah, I know that there could be some consequences. So so just to back up for a moment, and I'll get to the consequences in a second, too. Uh, you, you know, like our group, we meet bi-weekly, but not every group meets that often. But I think it's really important to be truthful when yourself if you are looking to join a coven, perhaps, or even just start a solitary practice just to make sure that you have that time and space in your life to be able to do it. I recently saw something, somebody post something somewhere, and I cannot remember where. It might have been off one of the seeker pages or something. And somebody said something about how a person who has a car and a moderately paying job who may live three hours away from a covenstead may be in a better situation in their life to be able to join that coven if all things work out versus somebody who lives maybe... I don't know, maybe like an hour away from the Covenstead, but they rely on public transportation and they have a full-time job and they're going to school at night. Um, You know, both people may be very well sincere seekers and really want this in their life, but I think it's important to be truthful for yourself to know, do you actually have the time and space for this? And also, ultimately, just remember, you know, if you're looking at this in a religious aspect, the gods aren't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. They're always going to be there and you can always come to this when there's a better time in your life. 
Yeah, and that was something that my first high priestess really stressed to me was that the gods will always be there. They're not going anywhere. You can always find them again at another point in your life if right now is just not the time. I mean, ideally you want to be able to keep it in your life, but there was times in my life where my high priestess back home moved and I had about like a little less than a year of a gap where I didn't really have a coven. I hadn't left for college yet and I just kind of had to sit tight and focus on my solitary practice for a while until meeting my new coven and getting started with them. So, I mean, there's always the chance to take a break and just step back for a minute and think about your life and reassess where you're going. Or you can also just focus on your solitary practice and learning new things by yourself because there's always independent research to be done too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and one thing to bring up, so I mentioned consequences earlier, so I don't mean like consequences, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> something bad's going to happen to you, kind of. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm mostly thinking about the consequences of when you're in high school and you're balancing, you know, things like training with a group or, um, you know, be, you know, maybe this group meets every other week. There's that consequence of giving up your social time in your social life and how that can impact you, especially at a young age where when you're a teenager or when you're early in college, your, your friends are expecting you to be able to go out every single weekend and go to frat parties and go to the bar and like go to the movies and do, you know young adult things (laughs) usually involve a lot of heavy drinking and bad decisions but that's what you do when you're this age just calling me out on my shit wow okay i mean hey i was your age too you know (laughs) yeah no true (laughs) yeah so you know i i can imagine that you've probably experienced some of those consequences and had to make some sacrifices in your life to be able to do this I mean, it's a sacrifice, but at the same time, it's, like, not a sacrifice because if it's something you really love, it doesn't feel like you're, it doesn't feel like you're losing anything by doing it, but it definitely gets kind of dicey coordinating my social life and this. I mean, coming to college, I became a much more social person than I was in high school. I was relatively introverted when I was younger, so the my weekend plans were if I, like, very intentionally made plans with my friends and nobody noticed if I was doing something else. But once I got to college, I joined a sorority. I got really involved with all my friend groups. And, you know, if I wasn't coming out on Saturday night with all my girls, like, everyone was like, well, all right, where are you going? Where is cooler than this? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to stay with my friend this weekend. And, you know, me and my friend group hang out and, like... <laughs> read tarot cards and shit and stuff and my friends are like oh okay cool and then they don't really know what questions to ask after that but um I don't know it's just kind of something where either you can make the choice to explain yourself or you can just be like I'm going and doing this and I don't have to explain myself to you um it just kind of depends on what choice you want to make and how much you want to disclose to your social life and how separate you want to keep your worlds or not Yeah, and I I guess I should ask you, so what was your experience like coming out of the broom closet or not coming out of the broom closet? Like, are there some people that you felt obligated that you had to say something? And like, especially too, if there's weekends where you're going away or or maybe, um, you know, like you're coming to a coven meeting or maybe you're going to like a pagan pride event or like you're going out of state for some reason or another um, and you have to maybe get an excuse to like leave class or leave a sorority event or anything. Like what, what's been your experiences with that? Yeah, so, um, I guess I was fully out of the broom closet when I was younger in high school. It was kind of part of my identity was that I was the girl with the tarot cards, and so everyone knew it, and I was very fortunate in my experience that everyone thought it was pretty cool, like, they thought it was a cool quirk about me, and I didn't really get any shit for it, like, no one was judging me or hating me for it, for the most part. Um, when I came to college, I kind of had to do that all over again, where suddenly I was, like, in a in a bigger social group, there were more eyes on me, and I kind of had to decide, like, do I want to come out of the broom closet again to these people, and will they see me differently? Because it was an entire different cast of characters than the people I'd grown up with who had loved me my entire life. Especially trying to pledge to a sorority. Like, did you feel that you had to hide that? Yes. (laughs) At first, especially, because, I mean, the sorority that I'm in originally was founded as a Christian sorority. These days, I mean, there's... We have a pretty diverse group of girls in my sorority. I mean, as diverse as sorority can be. But, um, (laughs) yeah, originally it was founded, you know, like we say in in some of our sorority, like, literature and stuff, it says, like, founded on ideals of Christian womanhood and stuff. And, like, there's a choice to when you're getting, when you're doing the ceremony for the sorority, like, to put your hand on a Bible or you can put your hand next to the Bible. They give you a choice and... 
it was definitely very noticed when I was the only girl in my pledge class who did not put my hand on the Bible. And <laughs> and you look like such a good Christian girl. How could you not, Allison? I mean, according to a lot of people, I look Jewish. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that was kind of the default was everyone in my sorority was like, okay, so we got a Jewish girl here. Um, <laughs> and, you know, nobody's going to ask me about those things, but it kind of became more apparent as Especially, like, I moved into the sorority house. I was living in the house with all those girls. Oh, I helped you moved in with my big-ass pentacle necklace. It was great. Oh, yeah. And, um... <laughs> I was like, hello, small children. I am you know, here. The witch has arrived. <laughs> it's not in my nature to hide who I am. Like, especially once I got to college, I kind of was like, I don't want to make a big deal of coming out of the broom closet again. But I'm not going to hide that this is what I am. So if people want to ask me, they can ask me, and I'll tell them. If you ask me a straight question, I'll give you a straight answer. But otherwise mind your business so <laughs> I moved into that sorority house and one of my roommates was a close friend but there was a third girl in our room who we didn't know as well and um and I put my tarot cards out on the desk and the next day she had her bible out on the desk I and remember I just, you telling me that I, I felt lived so, I felt so bad I'm like wow this girl is wildly uncomfortable right now okay yeah I mean was that the most uncomfortable thing you've left out that somebody's seen in your dorm no, not at all. Um, <laughs> I've had many experiences in college, especially with living in the dorms freshman year and living in the sorority house sophomore year. I was sharing a bedroom with one or two girls at a time. And um, and then I was also juggling bringing boys back to my place and them seeing <laughs> stuff. So it gets a little dicey. But I mean, like I said before, I don't really try to hide things. And if people have questions, they can ask me or they can mind their business. It's their choice. So I had my Athame out on my desk. I, you know, I have books around, witchy books. And, you know, I bring someone home with me. I've had boys ask me, hey, why is there a knife on your desk? And <laughs> I've given every explanation from it's a letter opener to, oh, I don't know. I just collect knives, I guess, to <laughs> well. it was a present to I use it for witchcraft. And then they're like, ah, ha, ha. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's just a fun time. Um, freshman year, I did a lot of scrying and my roommate walked in on me using my black mirror to scry in the dark so she came in and I was sitting by myself in the dark with a black mirror about an inch away from my face and she was like okay this isn't creepy at all <laughs> yeah lots of fun stories come from it there was some flying ointment with that story too right there was some flying ointment with that story yes <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you told me about that I was like oh how'd that work out for you and you're like did you say your roommate just left she, she walked in, looked at me, said, oh, this isn't creepy at all. And then she turned around, turned the lights back out and left. <laughs> wow. I can only imagine what she must have like texted her friends furiously about after that. Yeah, she, My witchy roommate's doing weird shit again. <laughs> I mean, I warned her when we moved in together that I was like into the occult and she didn't have a problem with it. So she was probably just like, I don't want to break her focus. I'm just going to go find something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least... At least they were tolerant. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, that actually brings up a good point of practicing the craft when you're in a dorm situation or living with roommates. I mean, I know you said you had your thame out. Uh, you know, I had the... I was fortunate enough that when I was in grad school and, um, you know, with my job and everything, I always lived essentially by myself and didn't really have to hide much. I mean, I did at one point live with my mom and I had to hide my things because I was in the broom closet and that was extraordinarily exhausting. And even now I still do that when she comes over <laughs> and all my friends are at this point like, why do you keep doing that? You're, you're old enough, like you're grown. And I'm like, cause I just keep doing it. Uh, <laughs> um, but could you talk like what experience or like what suggestions you would have for anybody who might be in a situation with roommates or in a dorm or something to be able to practice? Yeah. So I acknowledge that my experience, I've been really fortunate in that my roommates, I mean, especially like moving into the sorority house, I told them, like I explained to my friend that I was moving in with that I was doing pagan shit and <laughs> essentially that's what all the stuff was about. And she was already my friend at that point. So I've always found that it's easier to tell people what I do after they know me because they know I'm not evil. I mean, it was like the same situation with my boyfriend now where like I didn't explicitly tell him that I was pagan. But after like a few months of dating, he asked me and I was just like, yeah, is that a problem? And he was like, um, I guess not. I mean, I know you're good. So like <laughs> that's kind of how it goes. But um, 
was the question. How do you practice in a dorm room? Yes, practicing in a dorm room. So I've had really understanding people in my life, but some people are less understanding. So it kind of depends how much you're comfortable with having out there and how discreet you want to be. Because, I mean, technically you can you can set up ritual sacred space with very little on your person at a time. You can literally just sit there and meditate and create your sacred space for yourself if you have to. You could do it like an astral temple. Yeah. That's and that's something that my first high priestess priestess said a lot was like you don't need the things necessarily to make sacred space for yourself. You can you know you can create that space mentally for yourself if you need to, especially if you're surrounded by people that are not the most understanding. But speaking for myself and being in a situation where I have a little bit more flexibility, I always like to have a representation of the god and the goddess. So right now for me, that looks like a couple little paintings that my sister made for me of the god and the goddess, just very basic, like, little paintings of them. And I just keep them propped up on my desk. And if I need to do some kind of ritual, I've got those there. It's very easy to find a bowl for salt and water, and I have my thame and my other tools there, and it just kind of depends how in-depth with it I want to get, if I know I'm going to have the room to myself for a while, and, you know, I mean, you can always use the excuse of, like, oh, I'm bringing some guy back to bang, like, can you give wow. me the room for an hour, and then, <laughs> you know, and your mate will be like, oh, yeah, get it, girl, and then she'll leave you alone for a couple hours, and maybe you're maybe you're getting dick, or maybe you're casting a circle, like, you never know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a great comparison right there. <laughs> you, you know, just put the scrunchie on the doorknob. You've got to do what you got to do. <laughs> but yeah, there's options. I see options. what they're teaching you in that sorority. There's options is what I'm saying. <laughs> By coven sister, everyone. Yes, that's me. <laughs> well, let me ask. Uh, well, actually, before I get into that, um, you know, I, I know you and I talked a bit about this. And I actually started thinking about it as we were discussing this of... If you want tools or if you want to set up an altar, it doesn't have to be stereotypically witchy. You know, when I first had an altar, I was living with my mom, I want to say. I don't know. Years have blended together, especially after the last year. Um, But I remember when I started out, my altar didn't look like the stereotypical witch altar. I mean, I had like some Yankee candles and a thing of incense, like... And by incense, I mean, like, a single stick that I would keep just refreshed all the time and, like, a feather I found outside, and that was my entire altar. But I knew that these specific Genki candles, the specific colors that they were in the specific position I had them on my altar represented the god and the goddess. And truth be told, I still use Genki candles to this day, like the little tiny ones, as my god and goddess. And honestly, it smells great when I do, so I love it. (laughs) But it could be something simple. And, you know, if you're in a dorm room, I know you and I talked about how to do things like using incense. Yeah, that can get really tricky because, I mean, all the dorms that I lived in, and I I think pretty much every situation, like, they don't want you having fire if you're living on campus because that's how dorms get burned down. But, I mean, people are able to sneak in weed and stuff all the time. So, like, it can be done. You just have to make sure that you open the windows very wide and keep a lot of air flowing. Or if doing outdoor ritual is an option for you, that can sometimes be good. But, um... Or outdoor meditation. Outdoor meditation, yeah. I mean, like, obviously don't get caught playing with fire in the woods because that could get you kicked out of college too. But, um, <laughs> you know, use your discretion. <laughs> I think, too, burning essential oils would be a viable option as well. Mm-hmm. I have so many essential oils, and that's something that's so easy to keep on you, mm-hmm. especially at college. Like, you know, nobody really questions it. I like to just, like, use them in my hairbrush and stuff to make my hair smell nice. So you can kind of, there's a lot of things that you can have around that you can kind of explain away as hobbies or whatever. Like same with incense or candles. You can just be like, I like candles a lot. Or like even my little paintings of the god and goddess, you can just be like, oh, they're just little pictures that my sister made for me. Like I just like art, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure too, if you do things, and I know you had some experiences with this, (laughs) If you do things like joining pa- uh, public pagan groups, like pagan clubs, maybe at your university, you can maybe get away with doing a ritual because you'll have a group and I'm sure you can rent out a room. But the ima- like, imagining doing a ritual in a classroom does not, I don't, I don't know, I just can't do it. But um, I know you tried joining your pagan club and had a, a time with that. Uh, yeah, I think I dropped out <laughs> after like the first or second meeting because, um, I mean, okay, first of all, I really applaud my university for trying. Like, I really do. I'm all for like trying to create an open and nurturing environment for things like that. Um, but this group just wasn't it. Like, <laughs> I went and on the first day, I'm pretty sure they like showed a slideshow of different pagan religions and 
the Gardenarian slide was subpar. Um, I was, I wasn't like, and just the the general attitude in the room was that like, oh, this is a hobby. We don't all take this very seriously. Like, they didn't treat it with the kind of respect and reverence that I like to approach it with. So it wasn't for me. But I also think that I'm at a very unique place in all this, where like I'm deep into the Gardenarian stuff. I really heavily fuck with the Gardenarian stuff and I respect it. And so I know that a lot of people who, and that's not just, that's neither here nor there, but like there's people who are still like first sinking into this journey and want to get exposed to a lot of things. And I think that groups like that can be really good at exposing you to what all is out there. And then you can kind of take that and run with it in whichever direction you want that works for you. So I'm not intentionally bashing it. I'm just saying it wasn't for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I want to point out that for those who might not be in a university, you know, pagan clubs absolutely exist outside of a university setting. Um, You know, you can probably, like, there's covens, but then there's also groups that just meet that people have their own eclectic practices and they still get together for rituals. Um, I want to say a lot of the Unitarian Universal's church, I think that's how you say it, Universal Unitarian, I think it's Unitarian you know, anyway, the UU churches. <laughs> uh, I haven't been to a lot of UU church events, as you could possibly or probably see. But a lot of the UU churches, from my understanding, is there are types of places where they're not necessarily a club. I don't know. I want to say it's a social group that gets together, which I know is the definition of a club. But it feels wrong calling this a club. It doesn't feel right. But they they have a lot of events, at least where we're at, where. It's people from all different backgrounds getting together to do different rituals for the Sabbaths or do uh, meditative walks or introduction classes or whatever you want to call it. Um, So there are options out there for those who are maybe interested in looking for pagan spaces without committing to a coven. They definitely exist. Look into your local UU church. Um, That's a great place to start. So one thing that you kind of talked about a bit was coming out of the broom closet and discussing, you know, if you think that you should tell people in your sorority, telling your boyfriend. Let's talk about the topic of Skyclad. Oh, boy. You know, as as an adult with a full-time job, my job does not know that I practice witchcraft. And it's none of their business to know what I do on my weekends. You know, they're not paying me for that. You know, uh, I did tell one or... I told two of my coworkers, the other one, then she left someplace else. We still talk, though. But one of my coworkers knows because we're friends. We started, like, the same day. We're around the same age. And, like, she's cool. But aside from that, like, my boss has no idea what I'm doing on the weekends. And it's really funny because sometimes I'll sit in the office and I'm just, like, you know, when I would go into work or, like, if I'm talking to my boss on a video call, I'm, like, you know, my boss is great. But, like, I can't imagine what she thinks I do. (laughs) I'm just casually, I don't know, like, summoning a demon or, like, you know. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not summoning a demon. But, you know, it's just it's just funny to think about, like, the, the witchy things I get involved in. It's this whole second and other life that she has no idea even exists. But, um, but yeah, Skyclad, what has been your experience with discussing that? Or have you found that you've had to tell anybody? In my life, I haven't had to tell anybody because it's, you know, I'm, I'm not involved in, like, a sorority, for example, where I have, like, these close friendships with a lot of people who might want to know all of my business. Yeah, so the question is, the question, Sally, is how much can he know? Um, get him to our <laughs> practical magic references. Yeah, Jilly. Um, so, yeah, um, as for my sorority, there's really no reason that they need to know about Skyclad. I have sent in religious excuses where I have to detail why, like, what holiday I'm celebrating because I'll be like, all right, I need, you know, this certain day off. I need, like, August 1st and 2nd off or whatever. And they're like, what holiday could possibly be? Like, you're making shit up. You're trying Mm -hmm. to get out of what we're doing. And I have to detail an email to our standards chair who takes excuses. And I have to tell her. And this is another girl that's my age, but she's in charge of a position for accepting or not accepting excuses. Yeah, maybe you should take up that position this year. Facts. And then she decides (laughs) if I get fined or not. And so it's kind of like if she decides that my excuses justified enough then she decides not to charge me $50 for missing the event it's wow sorority life folks um (laughs) that sounds like trash sorry not sorry (laughs) but anyway um but I am allowed to be doing this this is my religion this is a valid religious excuse so you know and if she needs 
a letter from my high priest. He is happy to provide that to her and explain to her why I need to be away for that weekend. And so I've never gotten trouble from my sorority for it necessarily once I detail to them what it is I'm observing and they understand that I am legitimately going to be there and I'm not just trying to ditch, then they're cool with it. Beyond that, I don't need to go into details about that. More personal relationships are another story. I have only really had to have this guy clad conversation with one person so far, and that's my boyfriend, my current boyfriend, and that went down pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I haven't really told my friends about it necessarily. Like, they know what I do, and I kind of, going into my relationship with my boyfriend, I thought a similar thing as I think with my friends, where, and this is kind of, I processed this a bit more and changed my mind on it, but at first I was like, it's my body, my craft, I'm doing what I want, and that's really nobody's business. Um, oh, and By the way, Skyclad is ritual nudity. Yes, it's ritual nudity. And, I mean, to me, it makes sense. To me, like, it's a way of worshipping in your most natural form. There is, I've never felt sexualized or objectified. Like, it is a very respected, like, there's no weirdness, and I have never felt uncomfortable, and I think it's really important for the sake of making the magic powerful. That's just my tidbit on it. Um, so I haven't really told my friends about it because I don't think that they need to know. If they asked me straight up, I would give them a straight answer, but nobody's really asked, and I also figure you can Google this shit and pretty much get your answers. It's not like it's this big woo-woo secret. Like, if you really wanted to know, you can know. My boyfriend was a bit of a different story. So at the point that I told him, we were about a year into our relationship when it dawned on my dumbass that maybe this would be important information to him to, for him to know. I kind of assumed that if he was curious about something like this, he would, you know, Google it and find out. And then I kind of realized he had a very different upbringing from me. He was like homeschooled in a small Christian community in the middle of buttfuck nowhere. <laughs> um, and his first exposure to paganism at all was when he was in the army. And I realized that that may not be an entirely accurate representation. So that's an interesting place to get exposed to paganism for the first time. Yeah. Um, and so I thought about having this conversation with him. Actually, when we were talking about something else, I made a joke about how well I would do if I had an OnlyFans. And girl, <laughs> it was totally oh a God. joke. I wasn't serious at all. But he kind of laughed nervously and was like, yeah, I think that'd be a deal breaker. And then suddenly I was like, shit, is Skyclad a deal breaker for him? That had not even occurred to me that like, and you know, I'm not saying that any man should ever tell a woman what she does with her body, but... Girl, if you want an OnlyFans, you start an OnlyFans. Yeah, your body, your choice. My body, my choice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I was kind of like, you know, while, I, while he, you know, doesn't get to tell me what to do with my body, like, wow, I need to factor in that there's another person that cares about what I do with my body, and, you know, I kind of, by being in a relationship with him, I made a promise to respect our intimacy in a way where, like, I wasn't going to share my body with just anybody, and I didn't see Skyclad as breaking that promise, but I realized he might not see it that way, and so I freaked out for a couple weeks, didn't sleep, and was like, I, shit, I need to have a conversation, I need to have the talk. I texted everybody in the guard community that I respected, that I needed <laughs> advice from. I texted my old high priestess. I texted my new high priestess. I texted Ashley. Like, I was like, <laughs> what the fuck do I say? This boy's gonna break up with me. I fucked up. I fucked up bad. <laughs> and, and finally, I had the, well, I started the conversation over text and I, he was, I was like, do you want to have this conversation in person or over text? Because I know you're coming over in like an hour. And, um, and he was like, just text me what you have to say over text and then we'll finish the conversation in person. So I text him this big, long paragraph about, you know, so I thought you should know this. I'm sorry it didn't occur to me to tell you sooner, but I do ritual nudity with my coven, and they're like family to me, and it's not a sexualizing or objectifying thing. Like, it's for, you know, worshiping the gods, and I take it very seriously, and so do they. And, you know, it's not, it's nothing creepy or weird. So, but I just thought you should know. And he didn't text back. Oh, God. <laughs> I started <laughs> freaking out i was like i went outside i took this a walk i took a lap around the apartment building and i was like so my relationship is over essentially he is gonna ghost me we've been in a relationship for a year and i am never gonna hear from this man again and then i thought wait his laptop is in my apartment he can't leave me yet he has to come <laughs> talk to me or he's not getting his fucking stuff back so um he showed up at my apartment and we sat down and i was 
fully ready for this man to break up with me. And he looked at me and I was like, so what do you think? And he said, well, I'm not happy about it, but I trust you. Oh, <laughs> and I mean, hey, that's that there. there yeah, 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 there's a huge sigh of relief. I mean, he took it pretty well. He didn't. Con- I think like also we were so close at that point. It's kind of like coming out of the broom closet to someone in the first place. If you already know them a bit, they know you're not evil. So like he already knows me. He knows that I'm not trying to do weird shit like that. He knows that it's coming from a genuine place in my heart. So I think it was easier to explain it to him that way and have him have a more understanding, receptive response. He was also in way too deep at that point. Yeah, he was like, (laughs) man, if this is where I draw the line, I've done way too much shit for this bitch. Nope. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the thing with Skyclad is, you know, I was very much against it. You can ask anyone in my coven, especially you can ask Allison. (laughs) was not happy about the idea of it, but honestly, it's it's not a sexualized thing at all whatsoever. Um, and I, I can understand where he would be nervous that, like, this is seen as an intimate thing and why you didn't necessarily see it as an intimate thing in that way. Because, you know, working Skyclad is intimate in the same way that, like, a mother breastfeeding her child is intimate. Yeah, that's or, exactly like, what I was going to say. It's like a familial intimacy. Yeah, or, like, uh, like, a dad holding their newborn's, like, baby skin-to-skin contact. Like, that is absolutely an intimate moment. But it's not a sexual thing by any stretch of the imagination. It's like, it's, it's just this closeness that's not seen in any weird or creepy way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I know you talked a bit, a bit about it in a previous episode about Skyclad, but I think it's, I mean, at least for me, it's been a very positive healing experience. You get to see so many different body types and just see people in their most natural and, in, in my opinion, their most beautiful form. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't know if my friends, like, fully know that I practice Skyclad at all. I mean, my friends know I have a podcast, so they're free to listen to the episodes and find out for themselves. I know, themselves. I was just thinking, <laughs> I guess if my parents listen to this, they're finding out, so. Hey, no. <laughs> my parents are in way too deep at this oh, yeah, point. <laughs> it's too late. It's too late for them. The time is yep. gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so theoretically, like, my information is out there for my friends who know me in real life that, like, hey, I do Skyclad Ritual, but I, there's other things out there as well, like, hey, I'm a gardenarian or, you know. I have a coven sister named Allison. Oh my god, scandal! <laughs> like, oh shit! <laughs> like, my, and you know that leads like my friends can know like, oh, it's that Allison. <laughs> you know, so oh yeah, it, whatever. But the whole point is, if people wanted to know my real life, like they they could find out. But I'm also not out here blabbing to them what I do because it's none of their business, and it is an intimate thing. It is a private thing, and. I'm not telling them what I'm doing in ritual, and like that just happens to be one of the things that happens in ritual. Like it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I guess going into another topic, you know, it, it kind of ties in because so I came into the craft while I was in grad school, and uh, I, I'm in my 20s, so I'm still young. I'm a millennial, <laughs> <laughs> and. I think that it's it's been an interesting experience being in the craft young because my first impression okay okay so our our tr- well my training HP and yours as well when you came to Maryland he was much older and I just kind of had the assumption I guess from that that a lot of people in the craft were a little older and then I met up with other people in the craft who were around my age and younger and I was like oh wait there's like an expansion of ages I love this this is great I guess I had the stereotypical like older like woman who runs a shop you know like has tea brewing in the background and like she knows all the secrets of everything uh you know coming into that I guess that was my stereotypical assumption of what this was going to be like but have you experienced anything also being young in this craft that like I don't know like any experiences where people like might not have taken it seriously or thought that you were going through like a fad I think my parents definitely thought I was going through a fad at first um I mean it kind of was a fad when I first got interested in this because the way I got into (laughs) the way I got into Gardnerian stuff was I went to church with my dad and (laughs) I realized it wasn't for me and believe me I gave Christianity every chance give the old college try I tried so hard I went through confirmation classes I did the bible school I was confirmed and I remember being there on my knees in front of the Christian altar thinking what the fuck am I doing this isn't it like (laughs) this ain't it chief yeah and 
it wasn't that like I loved everyone at that church. I love my dad. Like that's the reason I tried so hard was be- mostly because I it was an important thing for me and my dad's relationship. Um, but after that, I was just craving spirituality so much, and I was craving fulfillment spiritually so much that I went to the library and started going through every book on the occult that I could get my hands on, and it absolutely looked like I was having a, you know, little tween crisis. I was, like, 13, 14 years old, and I'm suddenly bringing home all these books about, like, tarot cards and the gods and stuff, and my parents are like, oh, no, here she goes. She's gonna turn into one of those goth kids, like, oh, God. Um, yeah, but I think they realized it wasn't a fad when I was seriously starting to focus on Gardneri and stuff, and then I went to them and said, hey, Mom, I found this woman online, and she has a coven, and I want to meet her and join her coven, and my mom said, fuck no, you're going to get kidnapped by this woman and taken away, and then I told her the next day, so I emailed that woman, and um, (laughs) (laughs) the one that you told me not to, the one that you said was going to kidnap me, I emailed her, and she says she wants to meet up with us, so... And I applaud my high priestess a lot, my first high priestess, because she wanted my parents to know that um, she wasn't creepy because she could understand how the situation looks very well. So first thing was first she met up with my parents and, you know, showed them like, this is my home. This is my child. This is my husband. I'm a normal person. I do normal person things. And I just want to teach your daughter witchcraft. Please let me. (laughs) And... Once I stuck with it and they saw, like, how positive it was for me, I think um, that put their mind at ease more. But I have always been one of the younger people in the craft. Like Ashley was saying, usually when I am in a room full of guards, they're older than me. And I think that that is because a lot of people get into this later in life, especially, like, the older generations. This was not as accepted when they were our age, so they had to wait till it became more accepted to even get into it in the first place. And we're kind of lucky to live in this world where we are trying to become more accepting of things like this at a younger age. I mean, I still had to wait for my initiation and that was my first high priestess's call because of the whole sky clad thing and minors and nudity and that being illegal and stuff like that, which I didn't understand at the time because I didn't know about sky clad. So I felt left out and pissed. Um, I was like, I don't understand why you don't want to initiate me. I'm trying so hard. I'm doing so well. And she was like, please, sweetie, just wait. You'll see. Um, (laughs) When did she tell you about the sky clad thing? She never did. (laughs) Scandal. No, (laughs) it might have gotten brought up at some point, but she never explicitly told me that it was something that we did. And I think there was a lot that she left a mystery to me, which was her call as a teacher because she really did want it to be like this mysterious spiritual experience for me, which is exactly what it ended up being. And How old were you when you got into it? 14. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Fresh in high school. Yeah, I was 14. Um, And I mean, I think it's the same here. The legal age of being an adult is like 18. So she was like, I want to wait to initiate you till you're 18. And part of that just lit a fire in me to try to convince her otherwise by proving to her that I refused to quit. So <laughs> it kind of motivated me to do better. And it's part of the reason I, I am where I am now. So yeah, and I think that that might explain why when you went to Pagan Club, you were like, I've been I've been doing this for a long time. I know. It's like, <laughs> y'all think you know witchcraft. I'll fucking show you witchcraft. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I mean, I will say I, I love that there's a wide variety of um, generations that are involved in witchcraft. You know, I actually met another witch at my job, um, <laughs> low-key, and I think she was shocked when she saw that I was also involved in witchcraft. The, the, the very brief story of it was I had to go walk to some building, at, like, on the campus of my job to do some IT. So I don't really remember why I was there. But I went there. And there was this woman who was there, like, behind this desk, and I saw she had, like, a pentacle-type thing and, like, these little fairy earrings and, like, this purple dress, and I looked, and, like, this red hair, and I looked at her, and I was like, that's the witch. I was like, I'm gonna talk to her somehow. Mary meet sis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, I, you know, I'm over here in business wear. Like, you know, I look like I'm, I worked at a, I work at a corporate job. You know, I was dressed like I was in a corporate office, you know? (laughs) Like, I had the jewelry and the makeup and, like, probably, like, some freaking like orange shirt on with black pants and flats you know look really like business casual so I walk up to her and I'm like hello and she's like hi because she's like busy doing other things and I'm just like um 
I really like your earrings. And she was like, she kind of looked at me and she was like, thank you. Meanwhile, I had like bleach blonde hair at the time. Like I did not, <laughs> like you would have never known. And I like, I was like trying to continue to talk to her, but she was kind of like doing something else. And so I remembered I had just come from the Renaissance Festival, like maybe a week or so before. And I had a henna tattoo that was like hella faded, but it was of a triple moon. So I rolled up my sleeve and I was like, yeah, your earrings kind of remind me of my ta- of my henna tattoo. <laughs> like I just show this poor woman like this very, very faded henna <laughs> tattoo in my arm. And she has this th- these thick glasses. And I'm like, I don't even know if she's going to see this. And she looks at it. She looks at me. She looks back at the tattoo. She looks at me. She's like, oh, Mary Meat, sister. And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> Which craft achieved. <laughs> and I was like, hey. And she was like. We kind of looked at each other, like, didn't know what to say because we're, like, there's people around us. And my two coworkers are with me and they're looking at me like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm like, um, do you ever want to, like, get lunch or something one day? And she's like, absolutely. So I, I emailed with her and I, she ended up telling me there used to be, like, a little group of, like, witchy people who worked at the company and that Aww. they were really low key. And it's like, you would never know that these people were involved in witchcraft. They were all of varying ages and, and everything. And we all worked in a corporate job. <laughs> Honestly, I find that, like, it really is true that there's a little witch in a lot of mm-hmm. us. And even people that aren't in it that deep. Like, I just started an internship. And I got it through one of my close friends in the sorority. And she's super into... She's just getting into tarot cards. She's so into astrology. And she just had her first angel reading, which she explained it to me. I didn't know that was a thing. And her mom, who is also one of my bosses, is super into tarot cards and angel readings, too. And they want to talk crystals with me like it's it's pretty amazing to see how people open up about it once they just like know a little bit about you yeah it's 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 really nice like seeing so many people get involved in this and people at all ages um of all everything you know uh it's been pretty great and um we like to see it we do love to see it yeah um, so we're kind of a little off topic of <laughs> talk, talking about balancing the witch life or mundane life with the job and college and school and families. But, you know, I just sort of remind people, I guess, that, you know, you're always a witch, whether you're working in a corporate building or you're in a college campus or, you know, you have a baby on your hip or, you know, whatever, whatever your job may be, whatever it is. If you practice witchcraft, you know, you are a witch, you are doing the thing. And doesn't necessarily matter your setting or your background or your age or ethnicity or gender or sex or anything like that. Um, so, you know, why we do talk about separating or we're, we're talking about that boundary there of balancing your mundane life with your witch life kind of as if it's two separate things. But they really are pretty intertwined um, and there's ways to have your practice in all aspects of your life. You know, we even talked briefly about how you can have an alter in your dorm room, like a low-key altar. You could do the same thing at your office. You know, you can have a little pretty crystal in your corner, maybe have like a plant, um, maybe get like an essential oil burner or something. There's little things that you could do that nowadays, a lot of these decorations, quote unquote, you can buy at TJ Maxx or like five below. (laughs) Yeah. And keeping crystals around. Nobody bats an eye anymore. Every bitch is doing it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Crystals are cool as they should be. Yeah. And there's also, you know, things that you can do without even having things around you. Like, I like to meditate a lot, especially right before I go to sleep. I like to do my little in-my-mind path-working meditations and visit my mind temple. And that's not something that anybody sees necessarily, but to me it is a deeply, deeply spiritual experience. Yeah, uh, you know, we talked about that for a second about like a mind temple or an astral temple. Can you say really briefly what that is? Yeah, so it was something that I learned about pretty early on from my first high priestess. We would do astral realm meditation path working, sort of, where she would guide me through a meditation and we would go to this magical realm in the east where we could build our own temple in that realm and visit it anytime we wanted to, to check in or enhance magic that we were working on in in the physical plane. Um She explained it to me as the astral realm is where you send your intentions up to when you do magic, and then it sort of percolates up there and then rains back down in the form of the outcome. So if you want to go up to the astral realm to just start your magic there and cut out the middleman, you can do that, or you can just go up there to check and see how things are going, or do scrying from up there to sort of get a peek beyond the veil in your scrying. Um, 
And so that's a place that I go to visit when either I'm like going through a hard time in life or I just want to feel more connected, especially it's difficult at college because a lot of the time, like I've had to either miss coven meetings or I've had to commute using the metro to get there or coordinate people picking me up. It's not always easy to get to my sacred space necessarily. And I've been very lucky that my coven sister here has driven me a lot to <laughs> gone. Everyone's gone out of their way for me and I really appreciate it. But if all else fails and I can't go, I always have my astral temple to go to and I don't need anybody else to get there. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a, been a powerful thing and it's kind of a tool anybody can use really. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, I think we covered a lot of interesting topics. I, I think that people can apply to their life or kind of take away and, you know, chew on about how they can incorporate witchcraft more in their life. Um, you know, it is a balance, but it's also intertwined. And yeah, look for magic in the little things, guys. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you, Allison, I asked everybody this and I didn't tell you I was going to ask this beforehand, so I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I asked everybody at the end of the episodes, what's one piece of advice you have for a beginner, somebody who's just starting out? Also, my cats are yelling in the background in case anybody hears that. But <laughs> what's one piece of advice that you would tell somebody who's just starting out right now? My piece of advice would be listen to yourself and don't listen to what anybody else tells you. Um, I know that that kind of goes against my Gardnerian upbringing because there's a specific <laughs> way to do things, but my high priestess, my first high priestess stressed to me early on that, um, that a significant, a significant experience for you is significant and nobody can take that away from you. Even if the entire ritual is made up, if you felt something, it was real. So I would say try everything and whatever makes you feel the most, that's really special. Hang on to it. No matter what that is, you'll know when you feel it. And that's what's for you. Awesome. Uh, actually, could, really quick for you, and you have told me a, a couple of times, and it'd be awesome if we can put this on the episode about that movie that she had you watch about that one guy. Could you yeah. talk about that movie and, like, why she had you watch that or, like, what she said at yes. the end? Yes, I wish I could remember what it was called. It was a documentary, and that's exactly what I was thinking of when I gave this piece of advice, actually. Um, early on in my training with my first high priestess, she had me watch a documentary where there was this man, and he started doing, like, in the United States, he started this, I don't want to say, like, yoga studio practice, but it was kind of like a spiritual practice thing where he would teach people lessons and you know all these bored white bitches and all these bored guys and stuff like all these American people who did not know any better like joined the group and were so behind it they were like oh my gosh he's so wise he's this religious master and the movie is called Kumare from 2011 um yeah so he basically like taught them all these lessons and at the end of a year of these people following him religiously and listening to every lesson and having these super powerful experiences, he revealed to them, I'm actually from the U.S. I've been to India maybe once. Like, I am not a religious master. I'm no expert at this. I made everything up. And some of the people walked out of that room and said, fuck you. And some of the people stayed and said, well, wait, I actually felt something. This spoke to me. I don't quit. And... I looked at my high priestess and I was like, what the fuck was that? Why did you show me that? And her point was that, um, and I had been practicing in her outer court for a while at that point, and I was pretty determined to continue with it. And she said that her point was that I don't have to continue with Gardnerian stuff. I should try everything and find what speaks to me the most. And there's the right way to do this is the way that feels write to you because it's about your relationship with the gods and she also kind of I think showed it to me as a way of not placing so much pressure on me to um to finish because I felt like I was in so deep with her at that point um but I decided to continue with Gardnerian because it was the thing that spoke to me and I think that now it's given me more of a respect for other people's religions because I don't like to point fingers and say one of us is right and one of us is wrong. I like to say I have been, I've had experiences with what I do, and so so have other people. So. Yeah. Is there any reason you chose Gardnerian, or is it just because she was the closest? 
Um, it started as because she was the closest coven to me, and I think I continued with it because I did try to look into other things, and before <laughs> I found my first high priestess, um, I did look into other religions, and I read a lot of books, and nothing sounded to me, like, nothing hit quite the way what my as what my high priestess said to me hit. Like, she told me things like, all goddesses are the goddess, all gods are the god, and they represent the polarity of the universe, the balance, the night and the day, the hot and the cold, the dark and the light. Like, that all made so much sense to me that I just couldn't drop it. So that's why I stayed. Yeah, that's a fair reason to stay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus, you had a kick-ass high priestess, so. Fuck yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, thank you, Allison, so much for coming this is i'm so happy thank uh, you for having me i'm so glad we finally got to record this episode we've been talking about this episode for so long it's been many months in the work uh if you'd like uh if anybody wanted to follow you on social media do you have anything that is public for them to follow um i mean my instagram is allison.mermaid um allison with two l's and an i that's pretty much my social media (laughs) i'm on facebook if you want to stalk me like that um be my guest you don't even use your facebook like that let's be real uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right and uh if you're interested in finding me i'm on twitter as seek witchcraft instagram as seeking witchcraft facebook as seeking witchcraft podcast or the facebook group i have for the podcast is called witches seeking witchcraft please make sure you answer the question if you want to be in it <laughs> and if you can't find allison on instagram for any reason feel free to post uh at which is seeking witchcraft or send a tweet or message and i will pass everything along to her me and seeking witchcraft follow each other so you can find me that way <laughs> yeah it's real serious you, you could say things are getting pretty spicy pretty saucy <laughs> uh and if you're interested in supporting the show at all you can find me on patreon i'm patreon.com seeking witchcraft we have a book club and a discord page and it's fun stuff, guys. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again so much for listening. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day or evening whenever you're listening to this. And also want to shout out to the Patreon people. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I really appreciate all of you. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that is pretty much it. And I will talk to you all very, very soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.